Good evening. Let's stand together. And I'm so glad Jesus lifted me. Are you glad tonight to be one of those lifted, not sinking, not bound, but lifted? Jesus lifted me. Let's sing together. Ready? I'm so glad Jesus lifted me. I'm so glad Jesus lifted me. I'm so glad Jesus lifted me. Singing glory, hallelujah. Jesus lifted me. I was sinking down. Jesus lifted me. I was sinking down. But Jesus lifted me. I was sinking down. But Jesus lifted me. Singing glory, hallelujah. Jesus lifted me. Satan had me bound. Jesus lifted me. Satan had me bound, Jesus lifted me, Satan had me bound, Jesus lifted me, singing glory, hallelujah, Jesus back to the first, I'm so glad Jesus lifted me, I'm so glad Jesus lifted me, I'm so glad Jesus lifted me, singing glory, hallelujah, Jesus lifted me, Brother Trey. We're going to have a test. You're fresh from the seminary, so you're used to this. I'm so glad Jesus lifted me. What's the second verse? Amen. Amen. All right. Does anybody in this section will tell me the third verse? Satan had me bound. Sounds like somebody who knows. Amen. All right. And that last. <laughs> and that last verse. That last verse sounds like the first. What was that? I'm so glad. Oh, my goodness. Let's sing this like we know it and mean it and love it. Ready? One more time. I'm so glad Jesus lifted me. I'm so glad Jesus lifted me. I'm so glad Jesus lifted me. Singing glory, hallelujah. Jesus lifted me. I was sinking down, but Jesus lifted me. I was sinking down, but Jesus lifted me. I was sinking down, but Jesus lifted me. Singing glory, hallelujah. Jesus lifted me. Satan had me bound. Jesus lifted me. Satan had me bound. Jesus lifted me. Satan had me bound. Jesus lifted me. Singing glory, hallelujah. Jesus lifted me. I'm so glad Jesus lifted me. I'm so glad my Jesus lifted me. I'm so glad Jesus lifted me. Glory, hallelujah, Jesus lifted me. Okay, let's, a uh, couple of great choruses. I, well, actually, just we're going to start with one. What a mighty God we serve. And you know, uh, that mess in Joplin, Missouri, and I, I have a friend that has family there, and they haven't really located all of them yet, so we, if, if we really want to keep those folks in our prayers, but we serve a mighty God. What a mighty God we serve, and as big a mess as that is, He can make it all better than it was before, can He? Let's sing together, What a Mighty God We Serve. What a mighty God we serve, what a mighty God we serve. Angels bow before Him, heaven and earth adore Him, what a mighty God we serve. 
What a mighty God we serve. What a mighty God we serve. Angels bow before him. Heaven and earth adore him. What a mighty God we serve. What a mighty God we serve. What a mighty God we serve. Angels bow before him. Heaven and earth adore him. What a mighty God we serve. God is so good. Isn't that right? God is so good. God is so good. He's so good to me. He loves me so. I love special music, and I love it when people use their talent and uh, skills uh, to serve and praise the Lord. At this time, Haley Creek is going to come and bring some special music for us. Sing me a song of praise, glory. Help this wandering child to understand.
Thank you. Praise the Lord. I always get bullied into singing there. They always, you going to have to sing. I don't mind. He's little. We can pick up him. We'll beat you up if you don't sing. <laughs> Here I am. Yeah. Keep going. Life journey here is old. Time for me will be no more. I want to dwell with all the saints. I want to live beyond the grave. When death has come, I must go from this plain world of sin son than you did for me tonight. Okay? All right. I'm going to ask you. Amen. Amen. Boy, I sure appreciate that. That's such, such good singing and that guy, you need to sing more often. That sounded good. Sounds good. Hymn number 208. Number 208, To God Be the Glory. That's why Haley Creek does what Haley Creek does. That's why we're here where we are tonight. That's why Brother Joe has prepared and made ready a message from 
uh, from, from the Word of God to, to present to our hearts. To God be the glory. Let's sing the first and second verses. To God be the glory, great things He hath done, so loved He the world that He gave us His Son, who yielded His life and atonement for sin, and opened the life gate that all may go in. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, let the earth hear His voice. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, let the people rejoice. To the Father, through Jesus the Son, and give Him the glory, great things He hath done. Oh, perfect redemption, the sing and you may not know it but I want to share with you the words it's called I exalt thee and it says for thou O Lord for thou O Lord art high above all the earth thou art exalted lifted up exalted far above all gods for thou O Lord high above all the earth thou art exalted far above all gods and then the chorus if we want to call it the chorus to this chorus it says just very simply I exalt thee, I exalt thee, I exalt thee, O Lord. Oh my goodness, what a beautiful chorus. Let's see if we can learn that one together tonight. Ready? For thou, O Lord, art high above all the earth. Thou art exalted. Far above all 
troubles came along, they knew where to turn. And it wasn't to drugs, and it wasn't to drinking, and it wasn't to their friends, it was to God. And I'm so glad they instilled that in me, because when my troubles have come along in my life, I had an anchor that I could hold on to.
the open sea. By faith alone, side and yet his eyes were watching me, and the anchor holds, though the ship is battered. Though the sails are torn, I have fallen on my knees as I faced the raging seas and the anchor in spite of the storm. I had visions and I had dreams. I've even held it in my But I never knew they could slip right through like they were only grains of sand. But never
Though the sails are torn tonight, laid the groundwork last night in Deuteronomy chapter 1, Promised Land Living, and uh, just tied it into our name, uh, he'll expound further, if you've not met him, pastor of Flatwoods Missionary Baptist Church, Mountain View, Arkansas, uh, he can fill in the rest, God has used him, and even back when I first heard him preach, was on a, a chapel day in Minden, Louisiana in 1986, and uh, there at the seminary where I attended, got to know him further down through the years, known him since then. It's, it's just been a joy and a blessing. I know he'll preach to you God's Word. Turn it over to Brother Allen after this choir special, Brother Joe, come preach to us God's Word.
invite your attention to Deuteronomy chapter 1. We'll begin reading in verse 26. Every psalm that you've heard tonight has exalted the name of the Lord. Our song last night was Be Still and Know That I Am God. Tonight, the emphasis on that choir special is I believe. But yet that belief rests totally in the very essence of all that God is, as the one who is high and mighty and lifted up and holy. Is the God that you serve the God that is? Is the God that is your God? For you see, we are all in danger And people do it all the time. We who are created in the image of God, we can create God to fit our image. And so often that is the case. As Moses stood with the people on the border of the promised land, looking over into the promised land, the land of promise the victory which is pictured for the believer in Christ. He reminds them that the key to this promised land victory, the key to this abundant life, is found in properly relating to the Lord your God. And as we read in Deuteronomy chapter 1 tonight, in verses 26 through 33, I want you to notice How many times in all of these verses in chapter 1, he keeps using the phrase, the Lord, your God. The Lord, your God. The Lord, your God. And in verse 26, we find these words of Moses. Notwithstanding, you would not go up, but you rebelled against the commandment of the Lord, your God. And you murmured in your tents and said, Because the Lord hated us, He hath brought us forth out of the land of Egypt to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us. Whither shall we go up? Our brethren have discouraged our hearts, saying, The people is greater and taller than we. The cities are great and walled up to heaven. And moreover, we have seen the sons of Anakim there. Then I said unto you, Dread not, neither be afraid of them. And here's that phrase again. The Lord your God, which goeth before you, He shall fight for you according to all that He did for you in Egypt before your eyes. And in the wilderness where thou hast seen how that the Lord thy God bare thee as a man doth bear his son, and all that you went until you came into this place. Yet in this thing you did not believe the Lord your God who went in the way before you to search you out a place to pitch your tents in in fire by night to show you by what way you should go in a cloud by day. If we are going to experience, if we are going to claim promised land living, if we are going to live and enjoy the good life 
that God intended for His people, His covenant people, the Israelites and His covenant people in Christ today. The key to it all is to properly relate to the Lord your God. You see, listen to me very carefully. Your life, your life, your ambitions, your priorities, everything that you are is a reflection of your own personal concept of God. This is anywhere you go. Whatever a person's concept of God is, it's going to be reflected in their life. It's not what we say we believe. It is what we actually believe. It is not what we say we acknowledge, but what we actually from the heart acknowledge. And even assuming that we are God's very own people in a covenant relationship with Christ, even as missionary Baptists, we need to remind ourselves that it is impossible for us to have a God who is the product of our own imagination. And He's not the God that He is. Who exists to fit the way we want God to fit our lifestyle, our ambitions, our priorities. And our very God can be created in our very own image. You say, I'd never do that. Let me illustrate by, let, let me illustrate this. And I want to share with you, and this seems so totally far out, but this is a, an event that actually happened. A standing ovation for lesbians, a service of milk and honey to the goddess Sophia, a presentation denying the very atonement of Jesus Christ. Who would sponsor such an ungodly, unorthodox conference. The World Council of Churches in Minneapolis, Minnesota. They sponsored a conference entitled A Global Theological Conference by Women, for Women, and for Men. With emphasis in workshops and seminars and a call, the theme was, to reimagine God. And of the registrants that came to that meeting, 405 were Presbyterians, 391 were United Methodists, 313 were Lutherans, 234 were Catholics, 144 were United Church of Christ, as well as a number of Baptists, Episcopalians, and even some Mennonites. Every major doctrine essential to the very orthodoxy of Scripture was repudiated. The doctrine of God, the deity of Jesus Christ, the sinfulness and fall of humanity, creation, the authority of the Scripture, the church, and the biblical understanding of morality and human sexuality. And some of the workshops even were entitled Prophetic Voices of Lesbians in the Church. One seminar was entitled simply this, Jesus. And it was attended by 500 who advocated to reimagine Jesus in your mind 
with a feminist understanding, and they began the service with, with praise and singing of songs to Sophia, the goddess of wisdom, in a conference on Jesus. On the blood atonement of Christ, one Professor Williams from Union Theological Seminary in New York stood up before everyone and said, I don't think we need a theory of atonement at all. Atonement has so much to do with death. I don't think we need folks hanging on crosses and blood dripping. We do not need atonement. We just need, we just need to listen to the God that is within us all. Man creating God in his own image. Another speaker said we cannot allow others to define our sin. What is our sin? Who is this funny God who would sacrifice a lamb? And this concept of God led to the close of the conference of all of these people from all of these denominations to pray Our sweet Sophia, we are women in your image. We celebrate the sensual life you gave us, the pleasures you gave us, our oneness with earth. You say, that is so weird. That is blasphemous. That is absurd. And of course, one central fact, and what I'm telling you actually happened. But one central fact is sure, sinful man has a tendency, you and I have a tendency, to mold and to shape God in our own image to fit what we want and what we like. You say, no way. Missionary Baptists would never do such a thing. The key phrase in in all of these verses that we read is that Moses kept reminding them of the Lord your God, the Lord your God, over and over. And this this promised land living, this good life that He promises, this victory is found in properly knowing and worshiping and relating to the Lord your God, not as you want to shape Him, but as He is. You say, well, that would never happen. Well, let me give you a biblical illustration of the same thing. One day when Jesus was walking towards Caesarea Philippi with His disciples, the Lord Jesus turned to His disciples and He says, Whom do you say that the Son of Man am? And Peter at last got the answer right. He said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Then to the dismay of everybody there, the Lord said, Don't tell anybody. Why? The reason became more clear as Jesus began to explain more and more about Himself. And He began to share with them of how that the Son of Man would be rejected and must suffer and die. And Peter's response, listen, Peter's response was no. No way, this cannot happen. For you see, 
Peter did not want a Christ who would suffer and be rejected and die. He wanted a Christ to fit what he wanted. His plans, his ambition, his lifestyle, his goals. Who then was, who then was the Christ that Peter honored? A Christ that did not exist. Who fit comfortably into what he wanted as a Jew. This preconceived idea of a political Christ, a military Christ, to overthrow Rome and to restore Israel's prestige and power and greatness. In essence, maybe not to the extreme, but Peter created a God in his own image and his own mind just as much as that World Council of Churches did. And you and I can do the same thing. And we do it all the time. We do it all the time. To enjoy and experience promised land living, what Moses is sharing with us here, we have to properly relate to the Lord our God and make sure He isn't a God that we've made up or we've made Him smaller to fit our own whims. But He is the true God. He is the holy God. He is the lifted up God who graciously has revealed Himself in the Word of God. And He reminds us clearly, He is the Creator. We are the created. He is the King. We are the servants. He is the Holy One, the Savior. We are the sinners who needed redemption. And the good life is found in having the proper response to the Lord our God. And so with that thought in mind, Moses reminds them and Moses reminds us of, of, of three things that we need to understand in relating to the Lord God. And the first thing is this, we must recognize who the Lord our God really is. And I want you to notice, over and over and over in these passages of Scripture, he keeps saying, the Lord, your God. The Lord, your God. The Lord, your God. And the very first thing that we need to understand and recognize is this, we need to recognize who He is. And what does He say? The Lord. He's the Lord. What does this mean? That we must recognize His character. He is Jehovah. He is the Lord Jehovah. And when Moses, when Moses was commissioned of God to bring the children out of Egypt, he asked, who should I say sent me? And the Lord answered, say, I am has sent you. I am and Jehovah are one. Jehovah was such a holy name and is such a holy and exalted and lifted up name that the Jews would not even say it. It is related to who He is and all that He is. I am. I am that I am. Nothing is going to change me. I am self-existent. I am eternal. I am beyond comprehension. I have no beginning. I have no end. I am holy. I am high. I am lifted up. I am. And our great need today, listen to me, our great need today is to get back 
to an understanding of what God-centered religion is all about. And the kind of religion that most people are into today is man-centered instead of God-centered. And we have allowed ourselves, listen, we have allowed ourselves to become the focal point, the focus, instead of the Lord God being the focus. Coming down here, I was listening to a Christian radio station and I love Christian music. But as I listen to song after song after song after song, 80 to 90% of the songs were all about, as the person sang, Lord, I've got troubles. Lord, I've got problems. Help me do this. Help me do this. Help me do this. I'm suffering. Relieve me. Take me out of this uncomfortable situation. And everything was related that God exists for me to keep me in my comfort zone. With no sacrifice, no pain, no suffering. And then there were songs that exalted the Lord God like we just heard the choir sing. And we've come to the point in this generation that it's not about us serving the Lord our God. It is about our God serving us. We need to recognize who the Lord is. He's not only Jehovah, He is Elohim, the plural God. He is the triune God that you sang about, who has revealed Himself and the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And beside Him there is no other God. There is no other God. Outside of Him there is no truth. There is no life. There is no land of promise. But then notice as he says, as we are to recognize the Lord our God, not only recognize Him for who He is and His character, but also recognize the covenant that He has made with us through His Son, Jesus Christ. He is the Lord. Not only is He the Lord, but He's the Lord, your God. There's a covenant. There's an agreement. There's a connection. He is the true God who has entered into a personal and intimate relationship with His very own people. He had the old covenant with Israel. He gave a new covenant in Jesus Christ. What was God's covenant relation with Israel? Simply, if they were to enjoy the good life, if they were to enjoy the victory of the land, they would need to rightly relate in worship to the Lord their God. And if they were going to rightly relate to Him, they must understand His holy character and also relate from a covenant perspective. And the tragic history, listen, the tragic history of Israel shows that although they were constantly and continually reminded of who the Lord their God was, and they were constantly reminded of this covenant relationship of grace, not because they were something special, but because of His grace. They were constantly reminded of this. Yet they broke, and they ignored Him, and they broke His covenant time and time again. And the prophets would come. Scores of prophets would come and remind them 
and they would repent and there would be revival and then they would drift back to their own ways. Sound familiar? Yet this new covenant that is found, its fulfillment in our Lord Jesus Christ. For through His work on the cross and by the ministry of the Holy Spirit, we can have a new mind, a new heart, forgiveness of sin. And we can know the Lord and rejoice in being His people, His covenant people, and enjoy the good life, promised land living. He has promised that to us. So the good life is only found in those who recognize who He is and do not try to conform God to their very own image. Then the second thing I want you to see is this. Not only must we recognize the true and living God, but we must respond to Him as He is. Long before I got saved, I knew who Jesus Christ was. I recognized that He was the only Savior who died on Calvary's cross and was risen and was willing and ready to save. I recognized that. I acknowledged that. But I didn't respond to it. You see, if we're going to enjoy promised land living, not only must we recognize him as he is, not how we want him to be. But we must respond to him as he is. Look at verse 21 of our text. Behold, here he repeats the same thing he did in verse 8 last night. Behold, the Lord thy God has set the land before thee. There it is. Go up and possess it as the Lord God of thy fathers had said unto thee. Fear not, neither be discouraged. What is he saying? Now that you have recognized the God of the covenant, now respond to the Lord of the covenant. You see, it's one thing to recognize the Lord our God. It is an entirely different thing to respond to Him properly. It is one thing to have the land laid out before you as it was before them. It is entirely different to go in and live in the victory of it. And do you realize, listen... Moses stood before them and he says, there is the land and it's yours. It's available to all of you. And do you realize that the good life, the victorious life, the abundant life that he has promised here is available to each and every one of us on equal terms. If we will respond to the Lord and the opportunity that is before us, And the response requires an attitude of heart that says, Covenant God, Lord Jesus Christ, holy and lifted up, here I am. And I need You. I want You. I need Your protection, Your care, Your strength, Your direction. I need a new heart. I need a new mind. I need new aspirations. I need Your forgiveness. Redirect my life. And the Lord God replies from heaven, I have made my covenant with you in my Son, Jesus Christ. It is yours. Take it. Move in. Possess it. And live in the good of the land. And then I want you to get this. Not only must we respond to the Lord in the light of this covenant relationship, but we must respond 
to the Lord in light of the conflict. If you'll look at verse 29 and 30 and 31, he talks about the enemies, the enemies, the enemies. He tells them in verse 29, And I said unto you, Dread not, neither be afraid of them. In verse 31, or verse 30, he says, The Lord your God which goeth before you, He shall fight for you. Verse 31, And in the wilderness where thou hast seen how the Lord thy God hath bare thee, as a man doth bear his son in all thy way you went until you came into this place. Listen to me. Again, listen to the lyrics of some of the songs that are, that are sung today. Come to Jesus and everything is lovely. Come to Jesus and everything is peaceful. Come to Jesus, there are no battles. I love the movie Facing the Giants about the football team. Many of you saw that. Great film. Great film that presented the gospel of Jesus Christ. But one of the things that troubled me about that film, that it gave the impression that if, if you commit your way into the Lord, you will automatically win the state football championship you will also get a new Ford pickup and your barren wife will have a child. And frankly, it doesn't always work that way. There are battles, there are conflicts, there is suffering, there is sacrifice. And the good life is not without battles, it is not without conflict, it is not without struggle. The good life does not mean that everything is just going to be handed out to you on a silver platter Forty years earlier, Israel arrived at the border and all they saw were the giants of the land instead of the God who would fight those giants. And today the world, the flesh, and the devil fights us and sometimes we want to give up and cry. The giants, they're too big, they're too great. Our brethren, they have discouraged our heart as they cried out. The good life must be possessed. And many are afraid as they cling to this world and refuse to let go of their security blanket in the flesh, fearing what may happen if they let go and let God take their life, as though God would somehow shortchange you. You see, not only must we recognize who the Lord is, but we must respond to Him, not only as the great Jehovah God, not only as the covenant God, but respond to Him as our victor, as our strength. The Lord God and the joy of the Lord is your strength. And then the third and last thing that I want you to see, and here's the danger. You see, we can recognize who the Lord is and recognize who He is in truth. And then we are to respond. But if we refuse to respond, then what are we doing? It's not something that's just merely passive. You see, you have to make a choice. Will I respond to the Lord my God or will I resist the Lord my God? And the third thing I want you to see is really a warning because he warns them about the danger of resisting what God's trying to do in them and through them and with them as a people. Of course, the children of Israel, they fully intended to follow God and so do you and me. But over time, in reality, Everything within them was resisting God. Now, let's talk about briefly this way of resistance. 
What's the pattern of resistance? You know, someone in just following the Lord with all his heart, with all his soul, and with all his strength, and then one day he just turns around and reverses and says, I'm resisting God, I'm fighting God all the way. It is always so gradual, it is so deceitful, it is so, such a drift. But what is the pattern of resisting God? What is the pattern? Well, we shut out His Word. We rebel against His Word. Notice in verse 26, God said, go up. But they said, no. Notwithstanding, you would not go up, but you rebelled against the commandment of the Lord your God. You see that? Your God. They, they resented His challenge. They resisted His servant. And what God had told them and he had, had enunciated in His Word the very principles of living, the very precepts of victory, everything that God laid out before them, they fought against it. But there's something else I want you to get because here's where the real test comes. Not only did they rebel against His Word, but look at verse 27. To me, this speaks volumes. What is the phrase over and over and over and over in this? The Lord, your God. The Lord, your God. The Lord, your God. The Lord, your God. But notice what their response was in verse 27. And you murmured in your tents. Now I want you to get this. It's not who you are in this church house who is you. It's who you are in your home who is you. We can acknowledge and we can sing our praises to God and we can acknowledge the Lord our God in the assembly of His covenant people. But the real test is who you are in the tents, in your home. And notice in verse 27, what they had in the church house had no relation so whatsoever with what they said in their own house. Notice in verse 27, they take out the phrase, the Lord our God. They said the Lord hated us. They refused to insert our. In other words, God wasn't personal to them. He was distant. He was foreign to them. And they, no, they did not have that personal intimacy with God. This was really brought to my attention a few months ago. But a young man, a couple of boys in the church. They're mom and dad. I've known them all their lives. Faithful missionary Baptists. They're every service. And in talking to these boys about their personal, this personal, intimate walk with God that spills in in their everyday life and their prayer life and getting into the Word and allowing God to mold them and shape them and and speak to them through His Word, that intimacy with God, both of those boys looked and said, well, you know, all our lives, Mom and Dad's brought us up in church, and we're here every time the door's open. Mom and Dad's always been faithful to bring us in church. But if, when it comes to God, that's just not something we talk about as a family at home. And I'm talking about a faithful family in the church that acknowledged the Lord God in every worship service, but it spills, does not spill over in the home. They don't pray together. They don't talk about God together. 
What's it like in your tent? For how you are at home is how you really are. And they refused to acknowledge the Lord in a personal way. And as a result, they received the consequences of their unbelief. In verse 32 and 33, Yet in this thing you did not believe the Lord your God, who went in the way before you to search you out a place to pitch your tents in, and in fire by night. He said, God said, I have proved myself over and over and over to you again. I have spoken. I have pleaded. I have revealed myself to you. Why will you resist? Because they would not believe. We're afraid to trust God in the promised land life. The good life is only for those who believe God and walk by faith. And in verses 34 through 7, 37, he warns them of the consequences of their resistance. And the Lord heard the voice of your words and was wroth and swear, saying, Surely there shall not be one of these men of this, listen, this evil generation, see that good land which I swear to give unto your fathers, save Caleb, the son of Jephthah, he shall see it, and to him will I give the land that he hath trodden upon, and to his children, because he's wholly followed the Lord. Also the Lord was angry with me for your sake, saying, Thou also shall not go in thither. There's a warning here, and it's a strong warning from the Holy God. Listen. Every generation needs to be warned by the shortcomings of the previous generation. Those are strong words. History gives us some wonderful lessons and some very, very sober warnings. And we need to learn and we need to be warned And we need to digest the lessons of what happens in the life of the disobedient and the unfaithful who resist God in their lives. Lives are destroyed. Homes are wrecked. Children grow up with no convictions. And the awful pain of selfish living brings ultimately grief and emptiness. I've been in this business. I don't like to use the word business, but long enough to observe that the wages of sin are indeed death and misery and grief and destruction. These are the words of the Lord your God. And so the Lord your God without beginning and without end, the one who is high and lifted up, the one who is entire and complete, the one who is majestic and holy and above all, the holy, awesome, almighty God, in His marvelous grace and love, He reaches out to you in a covenant promise. And this covenant rests solely in the grace and the blood of His Son that was shed at Calvary's cross. And He invites you to move in and to respond to this covenant in faith and obedience And those who will enter into this covenant by faith and become the children of God and will follow Him by faith, He promises to fight for you, to carry you, to lead you in the promised land living. 
So it all comes down to this. We all just have two options. You can resist the Lord your God or you can respond to the Lord your God. And the difference will be simply this. You'll either enjoy the promised land life or you will wander in the wilderness. The key to all of this is the Lord your God. Do you know Him? Is the God you serve the God that is? And is the God that is the Lord your God? Let's stand and pray together. Father God, we come to You. God, You are holy. You are majestic. You are great. You are almighty. We have nothing to offer You for we are all flawed sinful creatures and we come before you only through your covenant in Jesus Christ and we have believed. We thank you for the blood of the covenant that redeemed us, that opened the door and tore the veil that we may come boldly to your throne of grace with confidence, with worship, with praise, to receive your forgiveness, to be strengthened by your Spirit, to enjoy the life that you have promised. God, speak to your people tonight. You know every heart. God, I don't know the people, but I do know that your Holy Spirit speaks to people through your Word exactly where they are to show them exactly who you are so they might become exactly what you intended them to be. In Jesus Christ, amen. Brother Michael.